Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Matt, the state of the vegan movement is strong. <laughs> well, I think I think you're right, Doug. It is getting stronger. Uh <laughs> Yeah, it is. I feel good about it. I feel happy about where where we are going as a movement, and uh, I look forward to discussing it with you. <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what we're going to get in today. Is uh, Trump gave his first joint sessions speech last night to both houses of Congress about uh, his direction for the United States, and I we thought it'd be appropriate to talk about our our thoughts on the state of the vegan movement. Yes, without without pretending at all that we are the authority figures, <laughs> right? That, yeah, I guess that, that. Yeah, no, that's not what I meant. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think I think, in fact, we're we're not the authority figures because one one of the problems is I was kind of thinking and formulating ideas here around like you know talking about where do we feel good about where this is going and what what can be changed, what can be done differently. Is it's really really hard uh, as someone kind of on the inside of the movement. To objectively look at it and say, "Yeah, this this seems like we're making great progress." You know, like it just it's I, I have so many things times when I when I see that it is growing and I think I see a positive. Uh, I wonder how much of that is because I'm just so involved in this and and I see it and and like maybe to someone who who is just an observer, it's not really apparent that this movement's growing. You know, maybe it's just like okay, there's mm-hmm. vegan over here and there's paleo over there and there are these two fad diets and you know they're they're just like any other fad. Uh, so I don't know. It, it to me, it's a significant part of my life. So it doesn't seem like a fad, but I, I always wonder how that looks on the outside. Of course, there are statistics about about the growth of it and things like that. And then I've I've looked up a few of those here and there just for different purposes when I've tried to present different things that I need to. Um, and then it's clear that there is some growth for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. Yes. Um, Doug, before we get into this, before we get into this heavy conversation, I want to lightly mention. Two things. Number one, you ran a marathon this past weekend. I did. That's that's no easy thing to do, especially up a mountain and down a mountain, as yours was. Yeah. So that's cool. Congratulations. Only a few months after being a new dad, as well. Yes. Thank you. It was. Uh, it was. It went. It went pretty well. It was. It was a race that I've done the past couple of years. Uh, that is is local here in Black Mountain. It runs up uh, towards Mount Mitchell. There is an ultra version that summits Mount Mitchell, but uh, the marathon version turns around a little early. And, um, you know, I really wasn't sure what to expect because I'd only done probably two long runs since uh, since before Eliza was born. And, uh, you know, I, re- I just really wasn't sure what would happen. But it all came together, and, and I felt pretty good about it. It was a nice, a really fun day. Nice. And that and that race, I think, used to kind of be like your A race, didn't it? Not, not the marathon, but the... Yeah, the, the, the ultra Was version. that your first 50? It's a forty miler, and it was not my first. Um, nice, but you know, I mean, this when I was living up in DC, I used to come down and and race it, you know, right. and have a big weekend or you know a big trip for it because it's just such mm-hmm. a cool race to. You start in downtown Black Mountain, which is a little town, and you basically just run directly up into the mountains, and you summit Mount Mitchell, which is the highest point east of the Mississippi. Um, and then you turn around and you come right back down and you end back down in town. And it's, it's just, it's a really fun event and uh, pretty unique, especially since it's in February. And usually there's a lot of snow and ice. This year there was, it was 
sunny skies and 60 degrees. There was a little bit of rain at first, but um, really quite nice. So I think that was part of the reason why people had some fast times because they weren't mm. dealing with the ice. Right. Doug, you should know by now, if you're going to drop a fact like Mount Mitchell's the highest point each, each to the Mississippi, then there should be the Doug's Did You Know music and, and pop and circumstance, right? You're right. You, it's you can't just slip cool. that in there. <laughs> you're right. It's a huge, it's a fun fact. It is. And, you know, and surprising to most people, it's higher than Mount Washington, which most people would say Mount Washington is the highest point. East Where, I don't, where's Mount Washington? Uh, it, Mount Washington. I know of the one in Baltimore, but I don't think you're talking about that one. No. Yeah. Mount Washington is <laughs> in New Hampshire. Oh, okay. Let me... Well, I'm not one of those most people then. I would have said, uh, I don't know what what the highest point is. Um, it is... Mount Washington is in the presidential range. Uh, oh, shoot. Where is it? I don't know what... <laughs> what state is it in? Oh, yeah, New Hampshire. I was right. Good. But, but okay. it, is, it is a good a couple hundred feet shorter than um, than Mount Mitchell. Good. All right. Well, now we know. Uh, so, Doug, while you were doing that, I was uh, being a chess dad for the first time ever, which oh. was fun. Holden, my son, uh, did the Scholastic County Chess Tournament, which is super nerdy, but uh, but really cool. I was so – like when we walked into that, the big gymnasium where they had all the chess boards set up for the tournament, I was like, man, that, that is such a cool thing. I wish I could have done that when I was a kid. Um, <clears throat> but and he got second place in his age group, nice. which is just kindergartners and first graders. But that was pretty cool, I thought, because he – you know, he, we're – like he does a million things, one of which is is fools around with chess. So I was very surprised to see him uh, win or win anything, and and it was really cool for him too. He he loved it. So that did, was fun. Does he play? Like, is it a tournament where you you beat somebody and you advance on to the next round, kind of thing? No, you play four rounds, and you somehow the computer keeps pairing you against people who are doing about as well as you are in the tournament. And uh, I don't know how chess tournaments work, but you you accumulate points for either wins or draws. Otherwise, you don't get any points. And somehow it worked out. So that, I guess the flaw in, in a tournament like this, where you only, he only played four games, um, is that like the per- person who got first place, he never played against this kid. Uh. And there were only probably, I don't know, 16, 18 kids in the age group. So it seems kind of strange to me that, that by the last round, they couldn't get it. I don't know. Who knows? I'm, I'm not actually that surprised because I saw the standings the whole time. And going into the last round, he was, he was tied for second with like five other people. So. Okay. I can see how it worked out that way, but I was like, I was just like, man, I wish we had a chance to play that guy, or I had a chance to fight his dad or something. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the dads go up to break the tie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, right. uh, I mean, I think, I mean, that, that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I feel it like is. we've talked about chess the last like six episodes. I know. Maybe. That's well. That's why I thought it was relevant. <laughs> yeah, we're we're turning into a chess uh, and disc golf podcast. Yep. Yes. All right. Good. Well, uh, let's 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 get to our state of the union here, Doug. And uh, let's see. So we we had an episode a few weeks ago. We replayed the "How Not to Be the Punchline of the Vegan at a Dinner Party" joke episode, which has been one of our most popular ones. And we recorded a new introduction. And in that introduction, which I, I didn't really realize this until I listened to the episode, uh, we we talked about how much how much it had it was different. Like this episode, I think was only a year and a half old or something. But when I listened to it to think like, okay, what can I what can I say about this to just to just to freshen it up and and present it again? Uh, it was really interesting listening to it and just hearing the way we talked a year and a half ago was almost like 
it's like there's been actual real change in a year and a half, at least in my perception of this movie. And it sounds like you you think so too. Uh, that just like the, it's just not quite as strange as it was before. That, that episode that we were talking about, how it was kind of a weird thing when you go to a party or or a, a bachelor party or whatever, a dinner, and you're the vegan there. Like it's, we were just talking about it like it was strange, and it, of course, it's still very different from what most people do. Uh, but man, it seems like the the tide is kind of turning. It seems like people are are just more aware and more accepting in just a year and a half. Uh, and, and I think that just speaks to what has happened over probably the past 15 years. Uh, so I don't know. That, I think that's that's a really great positive thing. So I think I think good stuff is happening. And uh, you know, I don't know if it's if it's for ethical reasons, environmental reasons, or um, I don't think it's economic reasons yet. I think I think at some point there will be probably some pretty strong economic incentives to eat this way. Um, but right now, you know, I, I think it's primarily the health thing that is driving it. I think that's kind of, of course, the environmental thing has grown a lot recently with cowspiracy being a, a, a great thing for that. But it seems like, I don't know, forks over knives is, is kind of the, the thing I think of first, that that is just kind of, has kind of caught on. The idea that a plant-based diet uh, can make you can make you very healthy, or you know, can can not just prevent but reverse disease. It seems like that's something that a lot of people are getting now. So that when you when you tell someone you're plant based or, or you're vegan, it's not the response isn't just like, oh, you're one of those crazy hippie people who are is going to tell me that that I should not eat animals because it's wrong. I think more often the response I hear is more like, yeah, I know that's really healthy. I just can't quite do it. Right. You know, which, which is very very different. Right. And I, and I think, I mean, I, that's exactly what I was about to say is that I, I think that the, the biggest difference between now and maybe not a year and a half ago, but uh, the way it's trending in people's heads, I think, is that the vegan movement before was kind of this only for fringe activists who, you, you know, were, were putting themselves in cages or throwing paint on people's fur coats, you know, moving from that to now a lifestyle choice that uh, people might be making to just simply to be healthier, to live longer. Um, and, you know, and part of it may be the environment or uh, animal rights and that kind of thing. But it, that's not necessarily how people view vegans uh, as much anymore. And I think that once people, once non-vegans start making that shift in their head, then it becomes a lot more acceptable or, or relatable, I guess. Um, and they can you know, then appreciate it a lot more. Yeah. Um, I think another thing that, that this could be, because I I guess in trying to remain objective when I talk about this stuff, and I really do try hard, and that's that's actually something that I, I think we'll talk about at the end here when we talk about what we wish we would see more of. And and that's, for me, is like an effort on the part of vegans uh, and, and people who are plant-based. When I say vegan, I kind of mean like they have this ethical... Um, part component to their veganism or to their to their diet but but plant-based just as well um you know like that people would kind of make go out of their way to make sure they come off as objective and not just like totally converted and like brainwashed and like cannot hear any any ill spoken of this diet you know i i think that's not a good thing for them so i think it's, it's good to do your best to remain objective and scientific um when I think about it, I do have to admit, like, yes, this is growing, um, but you also kind of have to admit that paleo is growing. Right? It'd be very hard to say that paleo is is not as popular as ever. Maybe I don't know. I don't know for sure that it is. Maybe it has. Maybe it peaked a couple years ago. But certainly, compared to twenty years ago, paleo is, is a huge thing now. 
Um, Did paleo exist 20 years ago? Well, I mean, there was Atkins, and I think it's... Oh, yeah, okay. You know, some people say that paleo is kind of an offshoot of Atkins. I don't know if it even is. Uh, but anyway... Also growing at the same time as vegan is this the, like the higher fat movement, the high fat people who aren't paleo or vegan. Uh, they they believe in kind of limiting protein, but they think fat is sort of the the miracle fuel source. Not not from like a, not ecologically, like environmentally. I mean, like fuel for your body that it, that it's right. the one that leads to longevity and all this stuff. So yes, this vegan movement is growing, but. That could simply be a matter of um, a kind of a flattening out of the the mass market. So, like, so there's a Seth Godin book called "We Are All Weird," which is actually one of my very favorite Seth Godin books. You don't hear about it talked mm. about much. Um, he he's like a marketing author for anyone listening to this, so it's not exactly relevant to this. But the idea is about the fact that like there used to be three three TV networks, right? And like if something was on there, everybody saw it because it was, there wasn't a lot of choice. Like there was the mainstream and the mainstream was this huge, huge group of, of consumers. And if you think of that as a bell curve, like this huge amount of people in the middle and very few people who are off to the edges in the weird sections, uh, the, the internet has totally started to flatten that curve so that the weird stuff kind of rises up in popularity and the the value of this mass market in the middle decreases because mass becomes much less. And now there are a billion channels, internet and TV and everything else, where you can go find any information about any little niche thing you, you're into. Um, so I think partially, yes, it's that there, there's something great about this movement that is catching on with people. But it's also kind of that, that rising tide raises all boats idea that like maybe weird stuff is just getting less weird. Right, like, like, it, like, if you think of think of a bell curve, think of vegans on one side of it, paleo heavy meat eaters on the other side, uh, and then the mass market standard American diet in the middle. Maybe what's happening is that's just kind of flattening out, and people and people in these smaller camps, uh, the or I should say, these smaller camps are getting are, are growing in popularity. Well, do you think that do you think that more people are following those diets than ever before? Uh. Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, that, to me, that's what that's what those diets growing is. So I would assume that the number of people following probably correlates with the number of books that are being sold and uh, the amount of conversation I hear about those things. So I I would say that yes, they are growing. But I don't know. Do you think otherwise? No, I mean I do. But I guess I guess maybe that's why it's less weird. You know, if you say that you're a vegan, but just because pe- so many people know uh, someone or them themselves are either on the paleo diet or, you know, uh, the high fat diet, you know, so, so it's no longer, Oh, you're one of those people who follows a certain diet. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, and the point I would like to make is that I think that's a good thing. Even if, even if the growth of the vegan diet, uh, can largely be attributed to, just the flattening of, of that bell curve, right? That the, the main, there's no more mainstream in the middle. It's just all these different sects. Um, then that's still a good thing because all these different sects to me are, I think the mainstream is bad, right? Cause that's where we're not thinking. That's where we just do what is fed to us right. and, and don't think for ourselves and just do it because everybody else does it. All these different diets. I mean, I would argue that they're all better than standard American diet from from my point of view. And I, I would imagine that most paleos would agree that a, a plant-based diet that doesn't have any meat, even though they think meat is good, would say that's still probably way better than a, a standard American diet that eats tons of processed food. Sure. Right? So, I mean, I, I think in that way, 
it's a good thing that all these that all these that people are thinking for themselves and doing things that aren't just the mainstream that we that we see TV commercials for. Uh, you know, it, it, they tend to be just more conscious diets, even if even if not more compassionate. It's just more of a conscious choice about what I'm choosing to eat rather than just like what what I happen to see in front of me. Right. So how do you get people who are willing to make diet choices to 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 think outside the box? but aren't vegan or plant-based how do we get them to come over to our <laughs> side of the bell curve um i don't know and and i i also wonder like should i want them to come over to our side you know what i mean like i i guess again in trying to remain really objective i'm like why yes i like seeing that people do this because i do it but is that just validating myself is that just making me feel better about this because now everybody is or is it is it because I want to see the world change and I really believe that when people do this they become healthier the environment gets better all these good things happen and and it probably is the latter but yeah it's definitely I, the latter yeah I know I, I like to see people become vegan I just I I don't know what my hangup is I don't I feel weird trying to say like this is the way and and what we need to do is find a way to get everybody to see see things like we do I don't know maybe I'm afraid to take a stand <laughs> well I mean you 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 run a vegan blog and a vegan podcast I know but I kind of made I've a always, stand. I know, but I but I've made sure that these things are never like you should do this because it's the right way. No, 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 and that's not what I'm saying. That's that's not what I'm saying. I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you know, it's one thing to talk to someone who has followed the standard American diet for a long time and has no interest in in you know doing any change to what they're eating. You know, all processed mm-hmm. food, whatever. But if someone is open to the idea of of changing their diet, and maybe they have just fallen stumbled on paleo because that's what their friend does, or that's what uh, their gym suggests to do, you know, like how do you talk to them about, um, or do you talk to them about why why there might be benefits to this other this other way? Yeah, I mean, I I tend not to, right? I I try to I, I don't hide the fact that I eat this way, and I will say that when when it does when the conversation goes there and I say how I eat and they say how they eat, uh, I do make sure that they know that I'm not militant about it and I will point out uh, Dr. Furman's stance that that you could eat 10% of your calories from from animal products and or processed food and he has not seen evidence that you will be any less healthy as a result of doing that and he mm-hmm. says that as someone who does I think eat 100% vegan, um, you know I I like that I, I like that kind of positioning right saying that. That's that's where I stand. I choose to be this way because I I I feel right about eating this way, and I don't want to eat a different way. But but in a conversation like that, where I'm trying to to I don't know if I'm trying to persuade, but where I where I just am hoping that this person walks away seeing this diet in a positive light, I like to start there because I think that helps people put their guard down and and they realize that they're not talking to a fanatic who can't possibly hear any other arguments. Um, and I don't know, it kind of establishes common ground. Like, I don't think you're terrible because you're eating paleo. I don't think that means you're destroying your health. Uh, I don't know. So I like to establish that sort of common ground. And then I will talk, I like to bring up the argument of longevity versus fecundity, which is the idea that like a paleo diet, like, yes, we could eat the diet that our ancestors ate, if the paleo diet even is that. Uh, and and many, many people will argue that it isn't and that there was no single paleo diet. Uh but if there was one, and if we if we said let's mirror any certain diet that our ancestors ate, what that does is it 
it means we are eating in a way that is designed to get us to reproductive age or a little bit past that so that we could raise our children to, you know, help them reach reproductive age. Right. That's what that evolution kind of idea or eating according to, to evolution, I guess, that's what that's saying. Uh, but evolution doesn't care about people living to be 100 versus living to be 80. There's no, there's almost no difference, right? Like maybe if you had a grandparent who lived to be 100, they could help gather, somehow help with survival a little bit better than if all the grandparents died off at age 80. Um, but evolution doesn't care about that. So it turns out from a lot of what I've seen from Dr. Greger's work is that the, the behaviors and especially the foods that will increase fecundity, which is this ability to reproduce and, and you know, kind of in the short term looks like thriving and being vibrant, those are the very behaviors that kind of make the candle burn faster, basically, and make you not have the same longevity. Um, so like, I don't know, high protein is one, one example that you can do that, you can get muscular, uh, but that sort of stuff tends to lead to growth of, speaking very, very generally, um, you know, IGF-1 production, which is, which is insulin-like growth factor one, that kind of comes from eating complete proteins, particularly complete animal proteins, and that, that hormone tends to lead to cancers, growth of tumors and things like that. Mm -hmm. So very, very broadly speaking, not trying to argue for specific cancers or anything like that, um, but just that general idea. So I, I like to communicate that idea, and I think, I think that that's one that a lot of people who eat paleo diets, right, by the very nature that they're eating a paleo diet, usually that's an idea they're not that familiar with. So I, I like to talk about the longevity benefits and, and the studies and the blue zones and the kind of stuff about that, that it seems like the longest lived societies and the way to live the longest is to limit um, – limit consumption of animal products. So that, that's kind of where I start. And I don't, I don't really ever like to argue more than that to someone who, who you know, believes something totally different. Yeah. That's all you have to say, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's like that. That's good. All right. <laughs> Wait, were, I you, were you talking? I mean, oh, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, what about you? What do you... No, uh, no I, I mean, I think that that's, that's a really strong uh, argument. I, get, I mean, I would think. I, you know, I, like you, I'm not typically the one to... Uh, start any sort of discussion or argument and but I'm happy to have it or not not an argument but I'm happy to have any sort of discussion if it is started by someone else um but you know I think for me I guess where I was kind of going with this was um that we make the vegan uh the the plant-based perception to be more inviting and um and easier and uh, less fringe that's what yeah. i was going for <laughs> good i mean i i do agree with you and and in in that being the extent to which i will argue um that's what i'm doing right like i don't i don't want to tell people they're wrong and that well if you keep eating that way you're gonna get cancer or like i don't know or go plant-based so you'll never have a heart attack like i would just never make those kind of claims and i feel like when people do make claims like that they kind of are fringifying the whole thing right they're just they're making it seem like i don't know well when you make universal claims like that uh unless you're very very prepared to back them up and even when you are uh i feel like it, it just seems like you're a fanatic and it just seems like you're crazy and that and that you've you've kind of turned a blind eye to any science that doesn't that doesn't suit your case yeah i mean people automatically get defensive against that even if they kind of agree with you right um, and I, I mean, I feel that way when people talk about not just diet stuff, but in any sort of issue that, that 
if they're if they're so closed off about it and like my way is the definitive way then my instinct is to is to kind of counter them and and uh uh you know block it out as well if they're not open to thinking any other way then i can't trust anything they say yeah and and that was kind of our message in that how not to be the punchline of the vegan at the dinner party joke episode was basically that if you can just approach stuff like not go into it planning to have an argument about your diet uh, or being someone who takes this so seriously that you can't possibly make fun of yourself, uh, then then I you know it's a good thing to to go in with that. I I think to to start a conversation from that kind of light um, angle, right? Where where people don't think that you're here to have a big fight about diet, and they realize that you're not going to be that rattled or rattled at all by them making fun of you for being vegan or whatever, as you were talking about at this bachelor party. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I just think like. If you can laugh and joke and kind of establish common ground and help people, just you know, help people see that you are not, you're not like some crazy religious vegan fanatic. Um, I just think that's that's a really good thing, and it comes and it comes back to making it seem less fringe. Yeah, totally. So, so what, go ahead. <laughs> um, so what I a point that along those same lines is the idea of all these like fake meats and stuff mm-hmm. that that are clearly doing a good job they're doing they're they're selling because because they're growing in their presence in stores not just whole foods but even even regular grocery stores uh now my you know regular ingles which i think of as a pretty normal grocery store that has lots and lots of like a whole little section of of plant-based meats and plant-based deli stuff and sausages and all these different foods um i think that's a really really good thing for this movement so i don't i don't think it's the healthiest food in the world by any means uh I just I feel like where I think we could do better as a movement, and I don't even know if we're ready to talk about this yet. But um, I don't like see I don't like it when when I see a vegan person kind of turn their nose up at that at that fake stuff, and like if they see someone eating that who's new at this diet, trying to convince them that they shouldn't eat that junk and that it's terrible for them. Uh, I think it's it's just kind of the small steps idea, or like or like well, let's take what we can get. I don't know. I just, I just think it's so much better that people have options. I mean, you're not going to convince everyone overnight to stop eating their standard American diet and start eating a whole food plant-based diet. It's just not going to happen. So I think the closer we can get, uh, the, or manufacturers can get to replicating meat, but in plant-based form, uh, the better. Like I know that a lot of people, vegans are vegans will say, Oh, that's gross. Why would you want to make a burger that looks like it bleeds? Like that just grosses me out. And I'm so much better than you because I would never eat that. I think like that's how we're going to reach what is left of the mainstream, and that and there's still as much as I talk about it flattening out. There's still a pretty large chunk uh, that the idea of eating a plant based diet is completely crazy out of the question. You know, it might not be quite so out of the question if they could do so if they were able to have a food that was you know indistinguishable from what they're used to eating. If if that could happen, and I don't doubt that it can in the next I don't know ten twenty years with with food technology. Um, you know why? Why not just take away that major objection that says I don't like the way this food tastes? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, like your Beyond Meats and and companies like that that are becoming super high tech and and they're they're they are trying to replicate the hamburger and the hamburger meat and that kind of thing. You know, not create a sausage that looks and tastes somewhat similar, but you know, really have a hamburger that looks exactly like a meat hamburger 
and tastes exactly like a meat hamburger. And I yeah. think, I think that's going to happen. Like you, like you were saying. Right. Um, and, and so I guess the question is whether that is good and you're saying that it is and you're, and I mean, I guess it kind of, it kind of goes back to like what the objective is. Is, is the objective simply to reduce the amount of meat that's being consumed? And, um, and if that's, you know, that's saving animals, of course, that's helping the environment, you know, assuming that however they're making these plant-based burgers are, are better for the environment. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think exactly. It depends. It depends what you think. Like, why do we want people to become vegan or plant-based? Uh, and if the reason is mainly health, if we just want people to be healthier, then who knows? Maybe the technology it takes to make an, an identical thing to meat, but happens to be made out of plants, uh, maybe, maybe somehow that food is so processed that it is actually worse for you than eating the meat would be. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I have no idea if that's a good thing or a bad thing that people eat that. Uh, what, what, I mean, what if they do that and that's what kind of becomes the thing that lets them start considering this diet so that they do eventually start eating more vegetables. You know, that, that could be a good thing. But then the other arguments, like if that, obviously that prevents animals from dying and hopefully that could be that, that also kind of implies sustainability and mm. environmental friendliness, then even if it's sort of health neutral, then that's still a really, really good thing. Uh, and because this also comes back to being economic too, so that it starts to help help uh, the economic situation as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I think all these alternative meats and, and new designed sausages and stuff that they look and taste somewhat similar to a real meat sausage. Um, I, you know, for me, that they were so important when I was making the transition from into vegetarianism and, and even into vegan, although uh, that was... I wasn't relying on that stuff nearly as much back then or as I made when I went vegan. But, you know, when I went vegetarian, I, I didn't know what to fill my plate with. And so those types of things helped me fill my plate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so they were very important. But at the same time, you know, I got to I got to say that. Like, what if instead of all this money that was getting pumped into finding a fake meat that tasted like meat, like what if it was pumped into find, creating a bean burger that was a bean burger but held together way better and tasted delicious you know <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but it's not like people are taking the the common treasure chest money and applying it towards this thing it's business are doing this because it's profitable for them to do so right people are are paying for that so yeah i mean i, I don't think it's like that that they're using up the public resource of money <laughs> to no, make no that's, that's not what i mean that's not what i mean but, i mean you know people are going to eat whatever tastes the best Sure. Yeah. Right. And that's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, I wish for my personal sake, yeah, that they were doing that because I don't care about eating a, something that seems like a hamburger. Like to me, it is sort of gross that it would be bleeding, even though it's not. Like I don't really have a desire to eat that anymore. Uh, but as far as helping this movement, I think that's I think that's more that that's better than making a bean burger that sticks together better. <laughs> okay. Even if I'd prefer to see the latter, like even if I would rather eat the bean burger. Right. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I I guess the 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 issue is if if all you're doing is replacing a hamburger with something that tastes exactly like a hamburger you are solving some problems and but you're not you're not really highlighting how delicious a plant-based diet can be right right sure and i think i but i think highlighting how delicious a plant-based diet can be is the less effective strategy than yeah. the one that says let's make a food that tastes exactly like the one you used to eat now, it comes with the advantage, perhaps, of being healthier, 
right? That it's that it's if if you can give them a diet based on on whole plant foods, um, that's a good thing. But I think I, I would prefer to take that smaller step first, and then once we've established that fact that you can have plant based food that tastes just like your other food, then start to you know take that next step towards getting people to eat healthier. And hopefully these meat alternatives you know, can actually be healthier. Maybe it's, maybe it's, they're not going to be as good as a bean, a true whole food bean burger. Um, but you know, if, if, if done intelligently, I guess, or, or I guess if research is done with it, then, then they can probably make sure that these things do, uh, at least eliminate some of the common issues, right? Like it's not animal protein. So hopefully, and, and even this does even happen with soy protein some, but, um, you know, avoiding that IGF one issue that I talked about, just find something that doesn't stimulate the production of that. Right. So I don't know. I mean, it, but but not do, you, say- do you think that someone who is not interested in going vegetarian or vegan, you know, but is just at a restaurant and has an option that, of a plant-based burger and a real meat burger and, you know, the description says they look and taste exactly alike, like would they ever choose a plant-based burger? Probably not, right? I was kind of wondering, I was asking myself that exact question. If you If you literally could give them something that was identical – uh, I don't know. No, I, I don't think most people would. If they don't have some other aversion to eating animals, uh, and if they didn't believe the plant-based one was healthier, then I'm not sure that they would. They'd probably say, well, it's natural to eat animals. I'm just going to do that. So I, I don't know. That, that's actually a really good question. Um, and especially gourmet types. Like I was reading an article about the Impossible Burger. I think it's on. I had it pulled up before we started talking. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was a New York Times article. But anyway, um, like the guy there was like a, a a gourmand type hamburger aficionado, and he and he thought this was just a terrible burger, yeah. even though it like is is the most the best thing we've got as far as similarity to to real meat hamburgers. Um, like I don't know, someone like that, they're never going to do that. Like those types, you know, they're they're going to want to if they value the food that much, then they're always going to identify something that is better about the animal burger that couldn't quite be replicated with the other. Uh, I, I don't think that's the that's not most people. I think most people probably could be convinced eventually, especially if it, let's say that one was cheaper on the menu by a lot. Which, if if the incentives, if things were lined up correctly as they should be, and we didn't have all these big subsidies for for agriculture, animal agriculture, uh, you know, I, I think the plant based foods would typically be way cheaper. Uh, so I don't, you know, I think we're, we're talking many years down the road now, but yeah, I think. I kind of think there's hope for for that for a diet like that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess my fear is that that we we put all of this energy into replicating a burger, and all it does is is allow people who are would have transitioned anyway or would have bought a bean burger anyway. Uh, to have a burger that tastes more like a, a meat right. burger, and <laughs> and surely that I mean I guess if you look at it this way, then that could be viewed as a cost of this, right? That now like five years ago when I first became vegan or whatever it was six years ago, like it was it was the choice to face inconvenience and basically have to eat healthy as long as I wasn't going to eat total processed junk food. Uh, you know, it was it was hard to eat unhealthy. But just because the, the vegan, like the meat alternatives, the cheese alternatives, even five, six years ago were not very good. Uh, and especially when I first went vegetarian, which is more like eight years ago or something, they were really not very good then. And I would imagine people 20 years ago would say they were disgusting back in that day. So 
now that that stuff's not disgusting and actually is really good, like, yeah, I think people who, who otherwise would have continued just eating more and more healthily uh, now can, can have, have their cheat day or whatever and they can, they can eat that junk food. So I don't know. I mean, the person is making that choice for themselves, so it's nice that they have that choice and they are, they are consciously choosing to, make, to, to eat the, the food that is not as healthy, um, which you could argue is good or bad. I don't really know if that's good or bad. But I guess one, one bad thing about it is that perhaps vegans as a whole will not be quite as healthy as they might otherwise have been. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I, that's, that's kind of what I feel like is going to happen, at least in the short term. Maybe eventually, again, if, if, if subsidies were changed, if laws were changed, and if, uh, if it got so dire out there that we needed, that there was, it was completely unsustainable to produce as much meat as we're producing then, you know, I think people will have to make that shift. Uh, and eventually, I mean, I think we're going down that direction um, at some point. That's going to have to happen. But, um, you know, in the <laughs> short term, it, like, I, I just don't necessarily see a better burger a bur- better burger, convincing anyone to eat less meat. Yeah, right. But but maybe it makes it easier to be plant-based and, and makes it so, like, the person who would have only lasted six months now doesn't cave on in month six mm. when they're really dying for a buffalo chicken sandwich they just have the beyond meat one and you know and they last two years or whatever and then and then maybe that's long enough that they get used to it and now they they can last forever i don't know i just feel like maybe it makes being vegan e- it certainly makes it being easier it makes it more comfortable makes it yeah easier for you and and i to go out to a party and, and go to a barbecue and bring something that is like a burger to throw on the grill right absolutely you know, yeah and I, mean, I and i think that's a good thing it, it just lessens kind of the social friction of the whole thing, which is a major, major hurdle for sure. That, that's very true. That's that's definitely true. And and it does, I mean, it makes, even for someone like you or me who try to eat healthy and, and plant-based most of the time, um, you know, and not have too much of this processed stuff, I mean, it certainly makes it easier when we do want that stuff, when we're having a barbecue or, or whatever. Right, right. And we've talked only about, fake meats we haven't really talked about fake cheeses and i don't think we need to have the same discussion again because so much of it is the same um but i i would argue that the cheeses as we talked about i think in the last episode the q a episode uh that they are closer to the real thing than the meats are like they're like there's i've still never had anything that really tastes like a hamburger it tastes like a veggie burger and there are some pretty good ones right uh but the cheeses as i said last time like that miyoko's kitchen cheese to me that i don't know if i had if i were to have cheese and that and then that was kind of thrown into the mix and i was having them all side by side i don't know that i would pick out this one as a vegan cheese so that that's pretty close to identical to me and that does make a difference and, and it happens to be made in a really healthy way it's like literally just nuts and uh whatever else cultured nuts maybe some miso i know i'm again sounding like a shield for this like this is like a uh um you know one of those influencer like ads that they've snuck into our podcast uh, like the people who go to bars and tell you to order whatever the cool uh-huh. new drink is. Yep. Um, no, so this is not that. But so I think it's just, of course, they would say that, right? Yeah, right. You know, but um, if, they, if they want to sponsor an episode, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. We're not gonna. <laughs> right. You're just uh, a fanboy. That's all you are. Yeah, well, that is what I am. I am a fanboy of that because it it has made me feel like I can eat cheese again, and and it's delicious. So there are a lot of people who love cheese and are addicted to it, and, and will just will flat out say. I'm vegetarian, but I can never. I can't go vegan because I just like cheese way too much, and can't imagine living without it. Well, those people actually could now do this. Like they could find this and say, "This is a good enough substitute for cheese that I can now survive just eating this, and I can be happy as a vegan." 
And like, I don't think the meat is there yet, right? There's no, there's no veggie burger that quite would do that to someone who claims that they love hamburgers. Like, there's no one who's going to say, well, I can, I can do it because this one is close enough and I can get by with this kind of burger. No one who loves a hamburger is going to say that about any of the vegan meats that are out there. Right. Um, so the fact that it's happened with the cheese, that, that's a great thing, right? That means people can be vegan instead of just vegetarian, and I, I do think that's a good thing. Yeah, that, does, that definitely helps with the, that shift from vegan to vegetarian, for sure. So what would be nice, a good outcome, is if it turns out that the trick to making the perfect uh, burger is one that is as healthy as the trick to making this nearly perfect cheese has been. If it doesn't involve crazy high tech food and it's just something it's like just Miyoko, like yeah, just Miyoko <laughs> or cultured cashews or whatever. Um, have you ever had one of those vegan eggs that's in like an egg carton? No, I haven't because I I never really liked eggs. I just they just kind of made me sick, like the smell of them. Uh-huh. So I've never had them. I don't even know what's in those cartons. I've seen the cartons and they're kind of a cool packaging. Yeah. What what's inside of that? I don't know. I, I haven't had. I was hoping you had. <laughs> I saw. I've like. I noticed them. You know, from time to time, when I'm in that section, and I'm like, you know, I mean, I should get those just to see what's inside. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I actually had the impression that you wouldn't find anything that looked like an egg in there. Like oh. that, you would just find a, a little a couple of teaspoons of powder or something, and that's what you're supposed to mix with water to make uh, something like an egg and baking. I don't know. I could be wrong about that. I, like I said, I never bought them. Maybe I'll buy one, and that'll be next next week's. Doug's, did you know? Okay. Live unbo- Dive unbo- <laughs> yeah. unboxes it. Yeah. Live. Well, maybe well, maybe that that'll be an excuse to do a Facebook live, like we talked about last time. Maybe that would be great. <laughs> um, <laughs> you never know. One one more thing about grocery stores, and and I think that this is kind of a big problem in general, uh, and and you touched on it a little bit, and that is that all of these these uh, meat alternatives, you know, except for like tofu and tempeh, but even like the higher quality ones of those. Uh, tend to be more expensive than actual meat itself. So there's there's no financial incentive to to kind of shift from meat and cheese to the alternative versions. Um, and I think that that's too bad, and that's going to be a hang-up. Of course, like potatoes and a lot of vegetables are a lot cheaper than um, some, some processed foods, but at least right now it seems to be um, more expensive to... Uh, to transition than it than it would be to stay the same. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, they are, and I so I don't want to pretend like I know, you know, for sure that the government subsidies are all wrong, and that it should none of that should go to animal agriculture and whatever. But but I know there are people who have done research on that. There's a book called I think it's called Meatonomics that goes into exactly that topic, uh, and I think probably even Cowspiracy touches on that kind of like the actual expense of, mm-hmm. of this uh, environmental hardship we are causing. Um, so, I mean, the natural thing to think is that we should realign those things, right? That some, somehow we, hopefully the, the citizenry will become <laughs> to our side enough that they will, that eventually those things will, will go away. Those, those uh, subsidies and, and maybe even subsidize things that, that, you know, are are more um, what what am I trying to say here, Doug? That are, that are that are pro plant based diet, whatever vegetables that is, because I know a lot of that vegetables that might be subsidized go to animal feeding. So as you can tell, I'm I'm very out of my comfort zone when talking about uh, environmental things, which is why Doug, you're our environmental correspondent. That's uh, right. But it just it just seems like that's what the problem is. It seems like it's a matter of time, and as demand goes up. Although I guess we have sort of a chicken and egg issue, right? Is, is demand going to go up if the price doesn't come down? 
to make demand go up for for meat alternatives. Uh, so I don't really know. I I don't know how all that works. I should because I I do like economics, but I don't know how that works. Uh, I mean, so I, don't I think know. I think eventually that we'll be forced into that just because our current system is unsustainable. Right. That's sort of what it seems like will eventually happen. Um, but I mean, even so, uh, my grandmother uh, likes to have potlucks. We have a lot of lunches after Sunday lunches after, mm-hmm. after she goes to church and, um, and, uh, she likes this kale salad that they have at Ingalls. And I went, so I went the other day to get some, it's like pre-made in the deli section kind of thing. Uh, and they have potato salads and, um, all these different, you know, non-vegan salad type things, um, next to it. And I was looking at it the other day and the kale salad, which is basically just kale and some like nuts and um, some you know craisins or something like that and a little bit of dressing, um, you know. But kale is, is like a, a weed, you know. I mean, like it's not you know, it's not some super fine vegetable. It was two dollars more per pound than uh, than the like salads that had meat in them and eggs and you know all this other stuff. And I just couldn't believe that the kale was so much more expensive. And I, and I was like, no wonder everyone, no one is buying this like healthy stuff. Right. Everything else right. is so much cheaper. Right. And I mean, although it seems like it shouldn't be, I guess the reason is there's not the the mainstream, even though as popular as kale is, uh, there's not the mainstream demand that there is for other stuff because it, it's still sort of a, a fringe kind of thing, even if it's coming out of that. Uh, so there probably hasn't been the level of investment in, in really efficient techniques of, of growing that and then supplying it and whatever else, however all that distribution stuff works. And I think it's just a matter of like if more people wanted kale and, and a lot more people did – then that price over time would come down because it would start to become, uh, you know, as, as people are demanding more of it, they can they can afford to do it for, afford to sell it for for cheaper. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so I mean, I think, and then it's the issue of like, how do we? So how do we do that without it actually before it's actually cheaper? How do we get people to go eat it? And and that, that's I mean that kind of comes back to the small steps and like that's why I think it's just like. It's good. Like we we are not going to create a ton of vegans overnight because there are all these hurdles. But I think when you can kind of break down one of those hurdles, and then that means the next one's easier to break down. Then I think I think that's how we will make progress with this movement. That that's my general feeling. It could maybe I'm biased because I tend to like that rather than the uh, in your face like you have to go vegan or else it's you might as well not even try. Uh, I don't like that at all. So maybe I'm biased, but I don't know. I, that's that's my nice vision for the future, I guess. You know. Being vegan is kind of uh, the vegan movement is kind of like the the transition from kale as being this uh, salad bar display, right? Mm-hmm. To to something that people so- seek after and 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 love. <laughs> no. It was it was there all along. It was like right in front of us all along, and people just kind of overlooked it to get to the to the other stuff, and then they realized that it was really good for you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Are you, is this like a metaphor? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, here? I'm creating a little metaphor. Okay. Okay. I thought you were trying to actually say that somehow the kale was really important to the vegan movement or something. No, 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 no. Okay. Because it is. I, I noticed all of a sudden that we like we started talking about kale as if that was the vegan food and the regular lettuces weren't vegan, right? <laughs> because the kale is more expensive, but the regular lettuce isn't. So we need to start to create change so that people right. will demand no, no, no. the kale. And I think we kind of got lost there a little bit. Okay, fine. I like your metaphor though. <laughs> it was in front of us the whole time, and and we. I get, finally I, starting to see it you know it, it is surprising to me it's amazing to me that kale it everything was stacked up against kale <laughs> <laughs> that, that it's become this like 
this big food. Anyway, that, that's a different subject. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, well, do we have anything else to say here, Doug, in this rambling episode? I don't want us to ramble on too long. I feel like we're we're headed down that road. No, no. I think uh, I think I think we're pretty good. I think we covered it. Although I'm I'm ending this conversation feeling like maybe the state of the vegan movement isn't as strong as I as I thought at the beginning. I you know I don't know I I'm not sure about that it uh, it might be it might be not as strong as we think right it might be that all that all these fringed sort of things are becoming more popular and that's what we're all seeing as growth uh, certainly I hope that's not I hope there's more to it than that but like I said I think that's still a good thing right that is a that is maybe a waking up from this cultural hypnosis that says what is popular is right and that's the only choice for me uh, so maybe that is the first very very although that's not a small step at all it's a giant step but it's the it may only seem like a small step towards getting people to go plant-based, uh, but maybe maybe that's maybe we just got to be okay with the fact that this change is going to take a long time. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I would really like to know what other people think about this. I don't know. You could let us know on Twitter or leave a comment on the show notes or something. But I'd be really curious to see what what people think about this conversation, this, this yeah. topic in general. Yeah, it's it is a it is a hard one. Not one we usually have talked about on anime radio either. Yeah, uh, with such seriousness. Um. Okay, good. Well, Doug, I look forward to unboxing a vegan egg with you. <laughs> Just lighten things up a little bit. Yep. Um, you know what? We can make one of those, like, well, you, you don't know this yet, Doug, because your daughter's not old enough. My kid, especially my daughter, who's into, like, princesses and stuff, mm-hmm. she watches these unboxing videos on YouTube of, like, kids, like, opening up their Princess Sophia dolls and, like, playing with them. And she's just mesmerized by these videos and they're just like the dumbest thing I can imagine her watching. So she's not allowed to watch those. One, one thing that is absolutely off limits on YouTube is <laughs> unboxing videos. <laughs> because they're just, they're just like the lowest form of, of kid entertainment. That's I can, all it I, is. It's just people unboxing their, they unbox them and they talk about them. And it's like, it's like a, you know, a little girl who has a YouTube channel who's, who's five years old or whatever. And, and some of them have like tons of followers and, and that's a cool thing. There are a lot of like kids shows, and I hope my kids will do that one day, where they like go out and save a duck or whatever, whatever they just happen to do on this random day that they're not in school, and they like video it and they talk to their fans and they hmm. upload it. You know, and it's cool. I think it's it's neat that they're sort of enterprising kids like this and building followings and all that. Um, that's cool. But but some of them who have the followings just get it because they just like open up new toys and play with them and talk about them and. They're terrible. Maybe we could have a. We, maybe maybe the secret to having a a bigger following than what we have now is more unboxing of eggs. Of maybe vegan eggs. maybe we need to just unbox vegan products and put them on YouTube. Yeah, could be the trick. Anyway, all right. Well, uh, thank you everyone for listening to us, and uh, hope you enjoyed this somewhat different episode. And uh, we'll probably we'll probably return resume normal content next week. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> right? I'm not, not apologizing for this. I think it was it was fun no. to do an episode like this. And now and then we do like like the vegan at a dinner party one, which not to be so popular. Uh, I think it's good now and then to to just step back and talk about something that we don't usually talk about, which is the the how do we help the world go vegan? You know what? I do have a closing point, Doug. One that I didn't really get to bring up. Um, like from from the day I started the the no meat athlete the no meat athlete. Uh, I <laughs> like like the YouTubes or the Google. Mm-hmm. Um, I just said I'm not going to try to get people to do this because I when I was starting it, I didn't even know if I if it was something that would stick. I, it was I was brand new at being vegetarian, and 
I just said I want to I'm just gonna like be an example. And and if it works out, then that's good. Then I'm an example for for good. And if it doesn't work out, then fine. You know, I'm not gonna hide that. I'm just gonna be an example that here's one guy for whom it didn't work. Because I wasn't I didn't have any any like I don't know, skin in the game. I didn't feel like I had to make this thing work. Um so I still would urge people to have an attitude like that one and like rather than try to convince or persuade just be a good example and do the very best you can and if your goal is to get people to do this then then just you know make sure you are are exemplifying it and you're doing a really good job and that means that means being healthy that means taking responsibility making sure that you're not a junk food vegan um keeping yourself in shape if you want to go run a marathon or do something all the better. Doug will coach you, right, for for a nominal fee. Yep. Yeah. So, so in case you thought this wasn't going to be an ad, there you go. Um, you can reach me at Doug <laughs> at nomadathlete.com. No, but I'm, I'm not actually not saying that at all. You can do whatever, you, any sport you want. Just just be someone who they can't point at and say, "Well, I'm not going to be vegan because look how how so and so looks." So be healthy. Take you know, do your research. Take B12 at an absolute minimum. Probably D, probably DHA, EPA as well. Uh, still at a minimum, but do that stuff. But mostly, just take responsibility for your health. That's it. Don't don't just like assume that you're eating this way and therefore you will be fine. Like actually, do some do some work, get some blood tests, read books, and be a really good example of this diet working for health. And then I don't know. I, I like to be an example that you can eat this way and be totally involved in this lifestyle and movement without being preachy and militant. I also like to, I think that's a, a useful example to set because uh, for me, that was a big hurdle. Like I did not want to do this if I thought it was going to make me be one of those people. So uh, I don't know. That That's my, my final thought. Jerry's final thought, like uh, Jerry Springer used to do. I like it. I, I think that's a, good, that's a good place for us to end. Good. Okay. Well then, end we will. Thank you everyone for listening. We will talk to you next week. Ta-ta. <laughs>